Chapter 1 of the Boy Scouts on the Trail. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in a public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ripley High School Army JROTC. Chapter 1. What took the scouts up into Maine. There never was such great luck as this, fellows. You're right there, Stephan, and never will be again, that's sure. Let's see. First, there was a silly old epidemic breaking out in our town, and forcing directors to put up bars in the school till after Christmas holidays. That was a great and glorious snap for the Silver Fox Patrol of the Cranford Troop of Boy Scouts, wasn't it? But that was only the beginning. Giraffe, there were better things still headed our way. Sure there were, Davy. As luck would have it, just at the same time, Thad Brewster's guardian found that it was mighty necessary he get word to a gentleman by the name of James W. Carson. He wired up to Maine, you remember, only to learn that Mr. Carson, who was a great hunter, had started into the big game country after moose with a couple of guides and wouldn't be back until late in the winter. Everything just worked out for us, seemed like, remarked the boy called Davy. Thad suggested that he be sent up to follow this party and deliver the message. And his guardian fell in with the idea right away, didn't he, Thad? I think he was only too willing, boys, because he knew we wanted to get up in Maine the worst kind, ever since our comrade Alan Hollister here began to tell us such splendid stories of the fun to be had in the pine woods of his home state. But go on, Stephen. Finish the story while you're about it. Why, of course, when Thad he found he could go, that gave him an idea. And sure enough, the whole of the patrol got the fever. Bob Quell had to give it up, because he had too much on hand to leave home just then. And Smithy had a hard luck to get a touch of the plague that had dropped in on Cranford for a visit. But didn't the rest of us hit it up, though? I should say we did, as sure as my name is Davy Jones. Well, the upshot of the whole matter was that one fine day, six of us left Cranford, bound for Maine, with all of our camp stuff along. And here we are at last in the country of big game. Canoes, guides, tents, and everything along we need for a month of good times. Or more if we want it. But don't forget, Stephen, that the one main objective of the trip is to find Mr. James W. Carson, interrupted the boy named Thad who seemed to be looked up to as the leader of the scout patrol, which office he really filled. Sure, replied Stephen, who was stretched out comfortably by a blazing fire, but we've got heaps of time for hunting besides, and trying out a lot of things we've been learning scouts. It was fine for a rich chum Bob Quell to insist on handing a big lump of coin to add to the funds contributed by our folks. That put us on easy street. And now here we are, as happy as clams at high tide, just finished our grub and pitying the fellows left behind. Poor Smithy, poor Bob, exclaimed the one who had called himself J.V. Jones. There were six of them in all, and it was easy to see from the various parts of the khaki uniforms that were in evidence these lads belonged to a section of the Boy Scouts organization. Cranford had made a start in getting a troop together, and the first patrol of eight had been formed for some time. Another patrol was promised by spring, to be followed by others as the boys became attacked by the disease and desire to learn numerous splendid things that Boy Scouts find out. Besides the acting scoutmaster, Thad Brewster, and his assistant, Alan Hollister, there were Stephen Bingham, Conrad Stedman, who on account of his long neck went by the characteristic name of Giraffe, among his fellows, Davy Jones, and last but far from least, a short, puffy, rosy-faced boy, Jasper Hawtrey, but few people ever knew it, because he was called Bumpus by young and old alike. It was a little after the nooning hour. The boys had evidently been paddling part of the morning for there were three long canoes close by, with as many men 
Doubtless guides doing something to change the luggage so that it would allow for a more even keel during the voyage upstream. These boys would have liked nothing better than to have come out here by themselves, relying upon their knowledge of woodcraft to carry them through, for several of their number were well versed in such things. Their parents, however, would not hear of such a thing, and the expedition must have been wrecked on the rocks before it really started, only that the boys promised to take several guides along. And besides, Allen had informed them that by the new laws up in Maine, hunters were bound to employ regular licensed guides when going into the woods, to render the risk of fires less probable. Since some city men are so careless about leaving a campfire burning when breaking up, and in consequence, whole districts have been burned over by the rising wind scattering the brands along the leaves and pine needles. But those three main guides were promised the easiest time of their lives, since there were so many willing recruits to do the cooking and lend a hand at the paddling. One canoe carried besides Thad and Stephen a dark-faced, quiet fellow who was really a full-blooded Fenobscot Indian and, of course, named Sabattis, as nearly all of them seemed to be. The second was given over to Alan and Davy Jones, with a young guy named Jim Hasty, who, by the way, was about as slow and deliberate as anyone could be. And the third boat had for a crew a real main character. Eli Crooks was about as straight as a pine tree, giraffe, and bumpus. Of course, the tents and various stores were divided up so that each canoe carried its share. Even so, they seemed overloaded at times. But then Bumpus was accustomed to declaring that the danger of their floundering grew less day by day, judging by the amount of edibles that disappeared after each meal. The fall season had set in so far that it was getting pretty cold in the northern woods, and the boys had come prepared for such severe weather as might be expected. But they were a hardy lot, and capable of standing almost any amount of fatigue. Already had the outdoor life of scouts wrought a remarkable change in several who had been hitherto inclined to be either lazy or indifferent to their muscular development. Bumpus Hawtree, fat little fellow that he was, could walk twice as far now as he could when he first joined the patrol, and besides, his general fund of knowledge had increased several hundredfold. Sephen, once the most careless and indifferent of boys, was nowadays noticing the wonderful things that can be seen all around in nature's working. And thus he discovered that a fellow might have a fine time, even though left alone in the woods for a whole day. Giraffe, too, had picked up amazingly. He never seemed to take on any more flesh, but his arms and limbs were getting like iron. And he, too, was beginning to take on the decided interest in affairs relating to the trail, the camp, and life in the open generally. Then as to Davy Jones, who had once been known as the Monkey, because of his indulging in all matter of acrobatic stunts, hanging by his toes from a high limb of a tree, standing on his head, walking on his hands, and turning back somersaults without the slightest warning, just as though he belonged to a circus, even Davy was beginning to tone down somewhat, and his breaks were not quite as numerous. Of late, however, strange to say, Bumpus had manifested an odd fascination for imitating some of the tricks to which the acrobatic Davy was addicted. He had begun to even fancy that he was actually becoming supple, and could even copy Davy with ease. When these rivalries did not seem to be along a dangerous line, Thad wisely kept quiet, knowing that Bumpus would speedily realize his inability to compare with the active one, and besides, they often afforded a deal of amusement for the balance of the patrol. While the three guides were making sure that the last spark of their late campfire had been extinguished by pouring water from the river upon the ashes, the boys were taking their places in the boats. Davy was feeling particularly frisky, 
and resting his hands upon either gunwale of the canoe, close to the bow, where he had his position for the afternoon. He threw himself up with his heels in the air, cracking these together sharply. How's that, fellows? he demanded. Don't you call that a pretty good poise? Why, well, I guess I could do it even if we were shooting the rapids. Hey, Bumpus, that's one on you, all right? And the heels cracked together suggestively. Maybe you think I ain't got the nerve to try that cute little dodge, remarked the fat boy aggressively. I've done a heap of things you thought I couldn't. Now you just wait and see your Dutch uncle show you a stunt worth two of that. Careful, Bumpus, the water's deep right here, called out Thad, whose back happened to be turned toward the other canoe just then, as he was changing some of the stuff so to give his legs more room when he took the paddle. And likewise cold, added Giraffe, who was grinning with anticipation of the fun that was coming. But Bumpus was in deadly earnest. He gripped the sides of the canoe, just as he had seen Davy do, and then giving a flirt into the air, started to extend his dumpy lower limb upward. But alas, Bumpus did not know how to stop going once he got started. The consequences was that instead of remaining at the exact perpendicular, his body kept on turning until he could no longer maintain his desperate grip on the narrow gun walls of the canvas canoe. And as a shout broke out from several of the scouts, poor Bumpus went over the bow into the water, where he made a splash that must have dreadfully alarmed every speckled trout that had not yet taken up its winter quarters. End of chapter 1 Recording by Cadet Lieutenant Colonel Spoon Ripley High School Army, JROTC.